So this morning we're going to talk about the encouraging topic of regrets. <laughs> but we all have them, don't we? Some are big and some are small. You've heard people say, at least I've heard people say, um, I don't regret anything. I don't regret anything in life. I wouldn't change anything about, about my life. Um, but I believe most of us, if we really take the time to reflect back on different areas of our life, we do have regret. And there's a lot of different things that we can do with our regret. But I think God wants to teach us what he would love to see, us, see happen with our regret. And we're going to look at that today. Some regrets that we can laugh about uh, now, maybe, as we look back on them, we're able to laugh about them. I regret at the beach ever making the decision to purchase ice cream for the kids from the ice cream truck. I regret that. Um, most of you are laughing because you understand this. So, you know, you're there, you're on vacation, you hear the little song, and the truck pulls up, and it, in your mind, they appeal to everything, you know, a generation gone by that I never remembered. But anyway, at one point, you know, when the ice cream truck pulled up, and people would come, and they'd go out and get the kids ice cream. So you're thinking, this is going to be a great moment. You gather everybody up, you go to the truck, and you see that the cheapest thing on the list of 12 things that are there is six bucks. And then you count the number of heads in your family, and you do a quick math, and suddenly this is less than idealistic, this whole scenario. But, you know, you see the cheapest thing is a $6 square ice cream with a stick in it that, you know, has been decorated to look like SpongeBob SquarePants. And, and uh, so you're like, all right, you know, we'll have eight of those. And you do quick math in your head and realize this just was not, not a great experience. And then in addition to that, Every time that crazy truck comes by again and that song starts to play, your kids are like, we're going to the truck. I regret that. That was not a good decision. But of course, there are also regrets that we just can't laugh at. We can't. It's either too soon or maybe it's too painful for us to be able to look back and laugh about them. There's a website that's called secretregrets.com where people publicly post regrets that they may never say aloud to people that they know, but somehow um, it makes them feel good to be able to post it online. So here's a few of them that I read. I regret turning a blind eye to my boyfriend's addiction. I knew that he was addicted to several different hard drugs, but I never did anything about it. Wow. That's painful. My biggest regret one that plagues me in my waking moments and some sleeping moments is that when I was given the opportunity to go to USC for screenwriting, I didn't take the chance. And this website just goes on and on of people who have publicly posted and listed their regrets. And as you read down through them, some of this stuff is gut-wrenching because the feeling of regret often makes us feel like we've been knocked out of life, kind of like we're benched or we're sidelined. We've dropped the baton and the race feels like it's just over for us. Many of my, uh, a number of my sons have been in track and field, and so I've enjoyed watching a lot of different races, but one of the things that I've observed in watching relay races is that at times the, the handoff, the baton handoff gets muffed, and if you watch middle school or high school track, you end up thinking, do they not practice this? <laughs> seems like a critical component of this race, and yet more often than not, it seems like the baton is dropped. But what I enjoy watching or what I've noticed in watching is that runners handle this differently because some runners, when the baton is dropped, they'll scoop it up as quickly, no matter how awkward it might be, as quickly as they possibly can, and then they'll pick it up and they'll take off running like they have every intention of still winning that race. But then there are some runners that just give up 
and you can see it on their face and you can see it in their body language. You can tell by the way that they run after they pick up the baton that they believe that the race is over. The second that the baton was dropped, they believed that the race was over. And regret feels like that. We might still be in the race, but we run like the race is already over for us. You see, we feel like we've botched the handoff, and when we botch the handoff, that that's a finish line for us. That's kind of the end for us. Every regret, I think, is unique. And the sorrow that we feel in response to our regrets is often deeply personal to us based on the way that we experience the regret. So today I want to help us identify our regret and then help us see it the way that God sees it. And we're going to look at three different categories of regret. And I think you'll find that any regret that you might have probably falls into one of these three categories. So maybe if you have your outline out and uh, something comes to mind or you uh, relate to something that you see, uh, you want to write that down. It might help you out. So the first category is this. Things I've done regrets. Things I've done regrets. Uh, These consist of all those things that make us smack ourselves in the forehead and say, oh, I wish I had never, and then whatever you fill in the blank to be. Uh, I'm talking about things like this. Lies that we've told. Relationships that we've torpedoed. Dumb choices that we've made. Rage we've unleashed. Money we've blown or addictions that we've fed. For instance, if you're like me, I know that I've said things and instantly wished I could put those words back into my mouth. Are there any other people who might be wired like that? (laughs) Yeah, things come out and you're like, I can't believe that just, yeah, it did, came out. People heard it, they're looking at me that way. That actually came out of my mouth. Other times, it takes me longer to realize the mistakes I've made. But does anyone look at this list and you say, yeah, I I relate to some of those regrets. I've experienced that. Okay, two of you two of you, good. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. Things I've left undone, things I've left undone, regrets, opportunities I've missed, time I've wasted, risks I didn't take, love I left unexpressed, words I did not speak, forgiveness that I withheld. Research, Research says that in the short term, people tend to regret things that they've done but in the long term, that people are more likely to regret things that they've left undone in their lives. Think about that for a minute. In the short term, we regret what we've done. In the long term, we regret what we didn't do. When we evaluate our regrets, we tend to think of regrets that we've done, that we looked at, or things that we've left undone, but we often don't consider regrets about what was done to us. And that's the third category things that were done to us regrets. And these are regrets like the accident that I was in, the illness that I got, the abuse that I took, how neglected I was, the rejection that I felt, the betrayal that I experienced. When bad things happen to us, quite naturally we regret them. And sometimes these regrets are the ones that hurt the most. The worst part of regret is that regret keeps us stuck and we feel like we're not able to to move forward. We're stuck in a pattern or behavior because what happens is we feel sorry for what happened and we long for those things to be different, but then our actions or our inactions as a result of that regret regret causes us to feel sorry again. And so we just kind of spin in this cycle. And psychologists have have a term for getting stuck in our regrets. You've probably heard this term before. It's called rumination. 
And rumination, uh, the best example, what do people think of when they think of rumination? They think of a cow chewing his cud, right? It's a beautiful picture. But the cow chews its food over and over and over again. It ruminates on its food. And one clinical psychologist explained it this way. It says, regret can have damaging effects on mind and body. When regret turns into rumination and self-blame, it keeps us from fully engaging in life. So when our regret turns into rumination and self-blame, it pulls us out of the race. It keeps us from being able to engage in life. And here's something that we know to be true about God. He wants us to fully engage in life. This is something that the scripture teaches is that God gave us life that his desire is for you and I to live this life to the fullest. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy your life. But Jesus said, I came so that you could have life and that you could have it abundantly or that you could experience life to the fullest. This is God's desire for us. He didn't create us or design us just to live this life and be miserable, ruminating on all of our regrets and failures. God's intention was that we stay in the game that we stay fully engaged in this life that he's offered to us. God wants our next time to be better than our last time. He says regret doesn't have to be a finish line for you. Instead, it can be a fresh start for you. You can start over again. And that's what we're talking about through these next several weeks, how we can see our regrets the way that God sees them instead of the way that we see them, and how to own our regrets so that God can release us from those regrets And then we're going to wrap up this series on the day that we do baptisms with this focus, how to allow God to redeem our regret so that the next time in our life can be better than the last time. And this is our sincere prayer and heart for each member of our church family as we walk through this this series together, that we would all come to see that God is big enough to redeem even the worst regrets in our lives. He's big enough to redeem and repurpose and renew and restore even the worst regrets in your life and mine. Because I would venture to believe that every person in this room is held back in some way by some regret that they've had in their life. And God says, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be limited in that way. So today we want to talk about one of the most well-known followers of Jesus, and that's Peter. And unfortunately for Peter... Peter was a bit impetuous, and as a result, he lived with things he regretted. (laughs) That first category, things that he said, uh, Peter was always the first guy to let it just fly out of his mouth. So we're going to explore possibly what was Peter's biggest regret, the one that shaped his whole life. It was a moment that Peter saw as a finish line. He thought the race was over for him as a result. And sometimes I think we ask this same question. We ask, is regret my finish line in this part of my life? In this area that I have regret, is it an an end for me? Am I done in that way? So I want to set up the scene here in Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in Luke chapter 22, and then we're going to move to the book of John this morning, but stay kind of in the same uh, story of Peter. So I want to set up the picture. Peter stands warming himself by a charcoal fire among guards and curious bystanders, and and he's outside of the high priest's home. Jesus has just been arrested and dragged before the religious leaders, and Jesus is bound, and there's a tension in the air. Just a few hours before, Peter had boasted of his bravery, and he had declared that he would follow Jesus to, to his death. 
But now as he moves closer to the fire in order to stay warm, and the smoke from the fire fills his nostrils, he's nervous, and he tries to blend into the crowd, and he watches to see what is going to happen next. And suddenly someone speaks directly to Peter. Aren't you one of Jesus' followers, she asks. Then a second and a third time, someone chimes in and says, you must be one of them. I don't even know him, Peter denies. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. And then we want to pick it up because just then the rooster crows. And we can look at Luke 22, 61 and 62. It says this, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny, me three, t- you will deny three times that you even knew me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. So around the charcoal fire, as Peter's eyes connect with Jesus, Peter instantly feels the flames of regret. And he can't believe what he has just done. After everything that Jesus did for him, he abandoned his friend in, in his hour of greatest need. And Peter is overcome with the emotional weight that regret puts on us. What happens next? Well, Jesus is condemned, and he's beaten, and then he's led away to be crucified. Can you imagine the sorrow that burned on Peter's soul as his closest friend is laid to rest in a tomb? Even after the news comes that Jesus is risen, that he's alive, Peter still carries the weight of his failure. He says to himself, is this my finish line? Is this what I'm going to be remembered for? Is this all that I am? Have I dropped the baton? Have I been disqualified from the race? And many of us can imagine what Peter felt like, can't we? I mean, our circumstances might be different. Maybe they're not as drastic. But we know what it's like to feel the sting of regret burning in our soul. And Peter could have spent the rest of his life stuck in that place of regret. But Jesus wasn't going to let him stay there. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus answers Peter's question, and I think it's our question as well. Is this a finish line? Am I stuck in this place of failure? Am I disqualified because of my regrets? Because you and I, we think of regrets as a finish line, but Jesus sees them as a place to start over. Jesus sees them as a place to start over. For Jesus, our regrets are a starting line. So Jesus responds to Peter And he responds to us in the same way. And as we move into this second scene in Peter's story, we find him out on a lake and he's fishing with the other disciples. And suddenly one of them, John, recognizes this solitary figure on on the shore and John shouts, it's Jesus, he's alive. So Peter is so anxious, he's too anxious to wait for the boat to get to the shore. So what does Peter do? He jumps in the water and he swims for the beach. I mean, this is Peter. He's all in, all the time. And as he approaches, there's this familiar smell that smacks him in the nose. Scripture says it's a charcoal fire. Jesus is right there. He's cooking breakfast over a charcoal fire. You know, smells have a way of bringing back memories for us, don't they? Whenever I come in from the cold and I have hot chocolate, it doesn't, every time it takes me back to 
when we were kids and we were outside and, um, you know, my mom would make a big thing of hot chocolate when we would come in, you know, just that memory. The smell of gasoline for me and fresh cut grass always makes me think of times with my dad and brothers when we were doing, out doing yard work and just kind of the mowers and that whole thing. Every time I'm out and, and I do that, it, it takes me back to that place. The smell of watermelons and cantaloupes uh, remind me of the farms that I grew up working on uh, when I was a teenager, early in my teen years, because whenever it would get hot, be hot, and you get hungry accidentally, we would throw a cantaloupe or a watermelon over to the side and it would break open. Oh, break time. And that smell and that taste of that watermelon and that cantaloupe was so good on a hot day when you were working on the farm. And so whenever I cut open a cantaloupe or a watermelon, that smell, that, it just takes me right back, right back to that place. Smells conjure up memories with them and, and then the corresponding emotions that go along with those memories. Now I want you to catch this this morning. There are only two charcoal fires mentioned in all of Scripture. Peter is at both of them. And the smell as Peter approaches this second charcoal fire, the smell of his regret and the smell of his betrayal just fills the air. In his mind, Peter remembers. So Jesus serves him breakfast, fish, and then it's time for a conversation. And after breakfast, Jesus asks Simon Peter, this is John 21, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Not once, not twice, but three times Jesus asked the question, do you love me? And not once, not twice, but three times Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three questions that correspond perfectly to Peter's three denials. The number three in the Bible is often a symbol. It's a, it's a symbol of completeness or wholeness or healing, but there, there's so much more here. Jesus is doing something in this exchange that helps Peter start over again. Last week, Eldon shared with us that there are three myths that keep us from starting over. And we said that if you want to make the next time better than the last time, then you need to slow down and bring your, learn to bring your regret before God. You need to pause enough to not just run past your regrets, not just subdue your regrets, not just push them down or push them away or act like they didn't happen, but to pause long enough to know how to bring them before God so that you can evaluate, they can be evaluated in God's loving presence because Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so often when we just shove our regrets down in, we just hang on to them and they just continue to condemn us. God wants us to bring them into his loving presence. And today in this scripture, you can see that Jesus is showing us that through, through Peter's life, that we can bring our regret into his loving presence, that it's a safe place. This isn't easy uh, when you think about your life and you think about the things that you regret, when I think about my life and I think about the things that I regret, um, I often think back to my 20s. And uh, for some of you, uh, 
That was a long time ago. Uh, For me, it's getting to be a longer time ago as I remember back on it now. But I think about how direct I could be, um, what a strong uh, person I felt that I was in that season or that I saw myself as, and how driven I was. And I feel like when I look back on that season from where I sit now, I feel like I was insensitive to people's feelings who were around me and that I often hurt people in that time, people that I cared about and I didn't even know it. And I remember having to apologize to people for running too fast and sometimes, maybe oftentimes, for running right over people. (laughs) So when I look back in that season of my life, I remember that I would do something that I regretted, I would feel sorry about it, and then I would try to use that shame and guilt in order for me to behave in a different way the next time because I didn't want to stay stuck and I didn't want to be in that pattern. I wanted to be more like Christ in my actions and in my character. But for the most part, I think I attempted that transformation on my own because I didn't really think that Jesus wanted me to bring those things into his presence. As a matter of fact, I tried to keep those things that I was ashamed of as far away from God's presence in my mind and thinking as I could. I figured I'd be better to get my act together on my own, but the problem was that I saw my regrets as something that was a part of who I was, and so I resisted bringing them into Jesus' presence. And I think many times we resist bringing our regrets before God because we do see them as a finish line. We see them as an area of failure, something that we've never been able to move beyond, something that holds us back. And we're so disappointed in ourselves, we can't imagine how disappointed God must be in us, right? So the idea of continuing to bring this before the Lord is painful, and we feel shame over our regrets. And this is where I think sometimes our head theology is different than our heart theology, because our head theology may say, no, we're under grace, and God loves you, and he's okay with you bringing your regrets into his presence. But our head theology is out of alignment with our heart theology, because our heart doesn't really tell us that we can take that thing back before God again. That baton drop, God doesn't want us to bring that back again. Won't he be disappointed or as ashamed in us as we are in ourselves? And I imagine that Peter felt the same way, and I think that's why this scene with Jesus and Peter is so important. And I believe it's one of the reasons why John recorded it in Scripture Because Jesus wants us to see how he feels about our regret. So in this scene, we see how Jesus sees regret as a starting line and not as a finish line. Look at how Jesus approaches Peter. A couple of things you you might want to fill in the blanks in your outline or write down. In this scene, we see first Jesus confirms his relationship with Peter. Jesus confirms the relationship. Implied in Jesus' question, do you love me? is this priceless reassurance. And he's saying this to Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Because I still love you. I just cooked you breakfast. Do you love me, Peter? He's asking him and he's saying, I'm still in this with you. We're still in relationship. I love you. Jesus is letting Peter know that he can start over. He's letting Peter know, Peter, you haven't been discarded. You haven't been benched. You haven't been sidelined. You can still grow. Peter, you can still have a new day. And I want to ask you this question. What has Peter done so well enough for him to earn a new day? What did Peter do so well that Jesus said, you earn a new day? The answer to that question is nothing. (laughs) 
Peter did nothing to earn a new day. He was just created in God's image. He was just one of God's beloved children. That's all that he needed. And that's true for us today, as true as it was for Peter. Because when we know that we're loved by God, we can find the courage to face our regrets, even though we have doubts about what it might be like to bring those regrets into God's presence. So Jesus didn't chastise Peter. He didn't rehash with Peter. Hey, Peter, remember what happened? Three times. (laughs) Three times, Peter. Think about how I do that with my kids. Do you remember how many times you did that today? No, it wasn't just that one time. Yeah, three times, maybe more. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't blow it off as though it wasn't a big deal either. He didn't just act like, oh, Peter, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Listen, no, he was really, really intentional with Peter. So that was a big deal. And guess what? My love for you and my relationship with you and the grace that I'm offering you is a pretty big deal too. He also didn't give Peter the cold shoulder. Can you imagine what would have happened if the disciples would have came ashore and Jesus would have hugged them all and looked at Peter and been like, hmm. I mean, do you think maybe that's what Peter was expecting? Could have been. No, Jesus affirms his love for Peter and he gives Peter the opportunity to affirm his love for him in return because he knew how important that was for Peter. He confirms the relationship as a starting line for starting over. He confirms that Peter is not out of the race because Peter's a part of the team. Peter, you're part of my family. You're not out. You're in. You're really in. And Jesus doesn't want us to stay stuck. He also doesn't want us to be driven by our regret in life, to keep limping along in life in this race. Jesus is saying, I love you, and I want you to run with purpose. I want you to heal. And that's the second thing Jesus does. Jesus confirms his purpose. Jesus confirms Peter's purpose. After each affirmation of love comes this charge. Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? You do? I love you too. Peter, feed my sheep. I've got purpose for you. I've got something for you to do. You're not done. You're not just reclaimed goods. It's over off the side. No, you're good enough that I've got a job for you. I've got maybe one of the greatest purposes I could give to you. Jesus, who earlier referred to himself as the good shepherd, now commissions Peter to join him in carrying out his mission of restoring people into right relationship with God. He says, Peter, I want you to shepherd my sheep. This is a big deal. The chief shepherd, the good shepherd, is empowering Peter to do his work. By giving Peter a job to do, he's saying, Peter, You have this incredible purpose to fulfill. You're not disqualified. I want you to lead and care for my followers. And this scene between Jesus and Peter, it has to be one of the most spectacular interchanges in all of scripture. Jesus refuses to let Peter see his failure as a finish line. He confirms their relationship and then he confirms Peter's purpose. And with this, Peter can see that regret isn't a finish line. As a matter of fact, this was a new start for Peter. This was the beginning of a whole new day. And we can read on in the New Testament and see that Peter knew that God had given him purpose. Jesus helps Peter see his regret differently. Jesus helps Peter see his regret the way that God sees his regret. When you think about how Peter may have carried this regret his entire life, how it may have identified him and become his label, you see how important it is 
that he came into the presence of Jesus with his regret and that Jesus affirmed the relationship and gave him purpose because it's only when we see our regret as God's starting place for a new work of transformation in us that we can get unstuck because the scripture says in our weakness he is strong. And when we come to those places of regret where we come before the Lord and he smiles and he says, I love you. Do you still love me? Because I love you. And guess what? In your weakness, in your regret, in your place of failure, I'm going to show up strong in your life and I'm going to do things that you could never imagine. And here's what you and I have to understand today. What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you and me today. If you're stuck in a things I've done regret, God is saying to you, I love you no matter what. Nothing can ever change how I feel about you. This morning you might be stuck in a things that I've left undone regret. And I want you to hear God saying this morning, it's not over. I'm not done with you yet. I have purpose for you. If you're stuck in the things done to me regret, you should hear God saying this morning, you are not damaged goods. I love you. You are special to me. I have plans and a purpose for your life. Jesus wants this day to be a starting line for so many of us. But that kind of banks on us. Because starting over means that we have to see our regrets through God's eyes. And that we have to be willing to bring them into his presence. You know, regret is actually meant to be a helpful thing. It's, it's known as a functional emotion because regret gives us the opportunity to move towards reparative action or regret gives us the opportunity to move towards restorative action. It gives us the motivation to do things differently. It gives us the motivation to make things right. And in regret, God doesn't remind us that of what we did badly. He reminds us that we can do things better with him. So we can learn to embrace regret because it's the place that God deeply transforms us. It's the place where he meets us. Our regrets, our failures are the place where God meets us, meets us and reminds us of his strength. What Jesus did for Peter, he's extending to us today. The last thing that Jesus says to Peter around that charcoal fire is this. In John 21, 19, he says, follow me, follow me. He's letting Peter know the invitation still stands for us to journey on together in this life. God wants the next time to be better than the last time in your life. He loves you. God has a purpose for you to discover that goes far beyond the regret that has held you back. But it all starts by you allowing God to reshape how you see regret. Would you bow your heads with me? I wanna ask you this morning, as you sit quietly for just a few moments, what is that regret that has felt like such a huge finish line for you? What is that regret that has made you feel disqualified from some aspect of life? It's held you back from living life to the fullest. Jesus wants to give you a new day. He wants to turn your finish line into a starting line. And I want you to process for just a few moments this morning while you sit quietly. Maybe your regret is relational. Perhaps you wish that you had loved better or you had been loved better by someone who was important to you in your life. Maybe your regret is, is health-related and you wish that you had taken better care of yourself or you're struggling with why questions over what has happened to you. 
Maybe you're stuck in a financial regret and you wish that you'd been smarter with your money. You wish that you've avoided, you would have avoided the current situation that you're in. And now you just feel condemned by the things that you've done. Perhaps your regret relates to your purpose in life and you wish that you had taken a different path. You wish that you'd given your life to a bigger cause. Maybe your regret this morning is spiritual. Maybe you've taken steps that have led you away from God. Maybe you just wish you thought about God and spiritual things more often in your life and now you feel distant from God and you feel separated from him and you just wish you could be close to him again. Whatever your situation, would you pray this prayer along with me in your heart? Father God, I hold regret. It's been a finish line for me, but today I'd like to start over. I wanna be able to bring my regret into your loving presence today and trust that you will help me see it the way that you see it, Lord. Would you remind me of your love for me and that you still have purpose for me, God? Would you give me purpose in your kingdom as well, Lord? And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.